This is Parent Boss Leader. Parent, parent boss, boss leader, 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 leader. And here's your host. She's a courageous voice for women, parents, and modern workforce leaders alike. She's a keynote speaker and proud mother of two, the vice president of sales and strategy for ATR International, Laura R. Munson. Hi, I am Laura Munson, host of Parent Boss Leader. Welcome to the show today. I am so excited to be introducing Alex Mazota. Alex, thanks for joining us. You're a fellow leader in talent acquisition. You're with Maxar. Really excited to learn more about your perspectives today, really on the job market and really happy to talk about the nonprofit you started as well. I think that is super cool. So let's jump in first. Would you mind giving yourself a quick introduction, a little bit about what you do? Yeah, thanks, Lauren. It's a pleasure to be uh, to be on the podcast or the pod as, as I think uh, the okay. internet calls them. <laughs> um, yeah, so my name's Alex Mazota. I have been in talent acquisition since 2006. Um, I sort of arrived here like I think a lot of people arrive, uh, you know, I, 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 nobody grows up and says, I'm going to be a recruiter, uh, or, although maybe my kids uh, will, because they've seen how much fun I have. But um, yeah, I went to school uh, for uh, psychology, graduated with a degree in, um, in psychology, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my career yet. So I found out about this opportunity working for a staffing agency uh, back in, like I said, 2006. And uh, I never left. It's been 16 years of mostly agency staffing. Wow. Uh, I've done everything from you know recruiting, selling, leading teams, uh, and now I'm currently the senior manager for um, uh, the TA operations here at Maxar. Yeah, congratulations! It says a lot about you how much you've moved up over the years as well. So kudos there. Wanted yeah. to see. What would you mind sharing about, say, recruiting in general? What do you love about recruiting? Yeah, um, that is, uh, I feel like we don't have enough time to answer that question fully, but I think most powerfully, the recruiting is an opportunity to sort of help people through a process that they're not very good at, which is A, hiring someone, and as well as B, finding a job. Mm -hmm. You know, something that I that I talked to my, my customers and I was selling staffing, and now with my hiring managers in corporate, you know, you are, you're not good at anything that you don't do enough. Um, if you try to, you know, if you were a salesperson and you only sold once a month, you mm -hmm. wouldn't be very good at it. And, mm -hmm. and I feel the same way about hiring or getting a job. You're not constantly hiring for people uh, unless you're in that, those like sort of specific fields. And same, likewise, if you're a, a job seeker, you're maybe looking for a job a couple of times in your career. Mm -hmm. um, which leads to a lot of mixed, like missed signals between the hiring manager and the uh, and the candidate. Mm -hmm. So for me, recruiting is a is a really great tool to um, you know match up what the hiring manager is looking for and what the candidate's looking for, yeah. and then sort of coaching them together to get to a place where it, where there's a win win. Yeah, I love that. I love what you shared too initially too about. We don't typically grow up thinking, I want to be a recruiter one day. It's something we get into. I think that's very true. And people are always interested about the recruiting side of things. Because mm -hmm. really, what I love about our industry, say staffing or talent acquisition, we get to really touch people's lives. We're helping them with their livelihoods. We're putting people into careers. It's really phenomenal if you think about it. 
So jumping into a bit about advice that you give to candidates, what's a piece you'd say that you'd give nearly every candidate? Just a tidbit of advice. Um, yeah, great question. You know, I think uh, I've I've obviously helped a lot of my friends as well as candidates that I've that I've helped staff. So, you know, what I tell everyone it's it's a numbers game. Um, you know, you have to get out there. Uh, I use terms like a shotgun approach. Um, I also use terms uh, like be very intentional where you're going. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I've when I've applied for jobs in my career. Uh, I have found that both being very general and broad and, and sort of applying wherever I find a good fit, mm -hmm. uh, but as well as, you know, you, you could apply to 10 jobs, but in those 10 jobs, there's going to be three or four that you're really, really big on uh, and you're really passionate about. That's Those are the ones that I think require a little bit extra step. Yep. Um, so, you know, one of the one of the best hires I, I ever made uh, was this gal that was in our office building. It was like, 10 degrees outside it was freezing and there was this gal that was like she was in her 20s uh just walking around putting applications and I was like hey uh can I help you, <laughs> you know, what are you doing just walking around this building she said you know I I'm looking for a job and I told myself that I would put down five applications in person to, um, every day as like a as like a technique Mm -hmm. um, and I found that to be very endearing and kind of outside of the box thinking uh, to the point where I, I gave her my card and I said, well, hey, come back and where I was looking for talent and staffing and we hired her and she ended up being an amazing wow. hire. And I think the the moral of the story is like, you know, put yourself out there, go the extra mile for the jobs that you're a huge fan of. Um, but also don't get dissuaded uh, when you get turned down. Don't get dissuaded if you make it to a final round and you don't get the job. I know it's easier said than done, but yeah. employers can kind of feel that 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 rejection on you if, if it's yeah. been a bit. Yeah. Um, so I would say keep your head up. Everything is like a new day and, and just mm -hmm. try to apply as many places as you can. Yeah, I think that's such good advice, especially today, because a lot of times candidates are reading headlines, you know, the, the market's great right now, jobs are hot, but then there's still folks who are going through tons and tons of interviews and just not finding the right one. And I think that's a great story. Put yourself out there. Don't give up. It does come to you eventually. It's the right fit. And even you and I chatted a little bit before we were talking about I guess, in, in a way, vibing with a company. You want a company that really matches you as a person. It's a mutual fit. So I think that's great advice, Alex. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think being a little patient with the process, um, you know, there's going to be bad recruiters. There's going to be bad hiring managers. You could, you yourself could be a bad candidate. Yeah. Um, I interviewed, I interviewed with Google uh, back in 2017, 2018, uh, and I was like, just so dejected when I didn't get it. Yeah. But then, you know, the, the job that I got afterwards, uh, shortly after those interviews ended up being uh, one of my favorite jobs of all time with Avitas Group. So mm -hmm. I think uh, always try to keep the glass half full. Um, you know, if you go to Reddit and you do recruiter, recruiting hell, which I'm always reading because I'm so obsessed with how people view our industry. Mm -hmm. I understand that there's a, a lot of bad apples out there from recruiting that are looking to make a quick buck. I would recommend, um, you know, doing your job, doing your work on LinkedIn. If you find a company that you're really passionate about, try to find their recruiters, try to find the TA folks um, that work there and send them messages and said, hey, I just put in an application, just wanted to let you know I'm really interested. You never, you never know, it goes a long way.
Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. And I think really piggybacking a bit on the advice, I wanted to do a fun little role play. You come from the staffing side and staffing, we're always doing role plays. (laughs) So say I'm a candidate. I have about five to seven years experience Mm -hmm. in software engineering. How do you help me narrow down what I want or what I don't want? What would you ask me? I mean, I, I I hate to flip it right back to you, but as a as a recruiter, you know, my job is to do discovery, um, and discovery is part of what is most important to you. And for me, um, the why of why we're talking is is sort of the the foundation of this conversation. And the why varies for everybody else, uh, for everybody, right? So you've got like I. I hate my boss, or I hate my commute, or I, I want to work remotely, or I don't want to work remotely. I, I want to bring my pets in. I want better benefits. I'm, I have a kid on the way. Yeah. All of those, um, or I want more money. No, nothing wrong with wanting more money. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those conversations is how I would start and then, and then start sort of understanding. Because if I'm talking to you, I typically have a job in the back of my head, and I'm starting to match that up and say, you know, I'm talking to Laura. Laura, hates her current commute, but it turns out that the job I'm looking at has a similar, if not longer commute. So right away, I'm going to pull back the job and say, you know what? I don't think it's going to be a good fit. Yeah. Um, but any recruiter that's that's good should be doing really good discovery um, on why are you looking for something new? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times people don't give the recruiters enough information. They say, oh, I just I just want somewhere that'll be more challenging. Well, what does that, what does challenge mean? Yeah. Is it, is it enterprise? Is it small business? Um, you know, really digging. So my answer to you would be, what are you looking for? <laughs> that is, I love that you did that. I think often on the recruiting side, candidates may know that they're kind of being interviewed for a particular job and they sort of have a tendency to want to mold themselves to that. But Mm -hmm. what you just shared is the honesty, flipping it back to a candidate, being honest. It's so important to be honest with the recruiter because then they can really help match you to the right position. Otherwise, you get to the final interview, final hour, and a candidate might pull out if they don't want to work on site and it's a deal breaker and a lot of time was wasted. I thought that was a really great point you brought up. Yeah. I know you've seen that before. All of us have in staffing. Oh yeah, candidate backouts are they're they're just the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> yes, to be honest. And then, but if if you do a good job matching people up to the to yeah. the job they're passionate about, you know, nothing feels better than delivering an offer for a candidate because oh, yeah. you say everything you told me you wanted in in the first time we chatted, we found for you. So yeah. it's like here's your car, right? Like you, this is exactly what you wanted at the price that you wanted. Let's go for it. That's you're absolutely right. Just put your cards on the table with your recruiter. The recruiter is your advocate. The recruiter helps. Very true. So back to the role play. What specific advantages do I have, say, with my five to seven years experience um, in software engineering? And if I'm coming into the market now, what advantages do I have now opposed to maybe five or 10 years ago when I was looking for a job then? What's different now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'll be honest and say that I've been out of um, sort of direct recruiting for a couple of years. I did do it for for a, a corporation that I was with before Maxar, but that was man, we were hiring so many people. But I would say the advantage is that um, you know the internet is the, the the resources at your fingertips are so wide. Um, you know, so if we're talking about the advantage that you have as a job seeker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would go back to what we said at the beginning, which is, 
you know, make sure that you are uh, doing your due diligence, that you're looking at the Glassdoor reviews, that you're looking on LinkedIn to understand the network that those people live in. Um, but beyond that, I think, you know, that what I have found is the sweet spot for a lot of hires is that three to five years experience, because that's when employers are trying to get you because they don't have to teach you how to be a professional and you're still affordable. Yeah. Uh, once you get that to that five to 10 years, that's when you really have to justify, here's what I've done with my career um, in the past five to 10 years. Here's the, here's how I've advanced it. And here's where I'm going. Yeah. Um, I think where a lot of employers get it wrong. And I, I want to be clear that I feel like we're giving a lot of um, tips to the job seeker and not, not so much the hiring manager, which they, mm -hmm. they need just as many. Mm -hmm. um, but where I think employers and employees get job search wrong is they're always wanting to hire someone that can do the job today uh, on day one, which is kind of silly, right? Like, why would I want a job that I can already do on day one? I want a job that's going to challenge me. So for the job seeker, I would say build, <clears throat> build the path when you're interviewing for a job that says, I want this job because it's going to challenge me in these areas and it's going to lean on these foundations that I have, but I want to grow from here. And then similarly for the job and for the employers, hire people based on that attitude and aptitude and base, base level of skills, but be okay with challenging people into a role that they haven't done before. Yeah, I think that's great. You giving advice on the employer side as well, because it is both sides. You also mentioned, which is very true, that that sweet spot, three to five years, easy, groom someone into leadership. But say me and our role play, I'm a leader. I want to find a leadership role some now, somewhere now. And I don't think it's going to happen at my current company. So how would you help me pinpoint what kind of leadership role I'd try for? Oof, that's um. I need to think about that one. I think because so you're saying that you're currently a leader, or you want to become a leader. So say I'm at my current company. Let's say I'm a team lead, but I want more of a leadership role. I mm. want to be a manager. What would I do to pivot, or to try to enhance my resume, or show that I can get into a company with my leadership abilities? Would you suggest? Yeah maybe like the headers of the resume, update that objective. What would you say? What's your advice? Yeah. Oh gosh. I feel, I feel like I, I could answer this 10 different ways and still not get it right for some people. Um, you know, leadership uh, to me, leadership starts with, with uh, intention. It starts with a philosophy. You have to, you have to find a frame that, that works for you. Um, when you are a leader, I think being a team lead is a great um, starting feel for, I'm here to kind of lead people, but I'm not necessarily being held accountable for their success. Um, when I wanted to transition from uh, doing to leading, which sounds like I'm not doing, but you know what I mean? Like when I wanted to transition from a, a single producer to a leader, I focused on helping other people become producers like I was successfully. Mm. Um, and then in through that process, it's it's a lot of uh, trial and error, a lot of trial and error. Uh, I initially thought about the things that I didn't like in bad leaders and didn't and, and tried to avoid those, right? Like, you know what not to do. Mm -hmm. And I think anybody can kind of close their eyes and think like, yeah, like, I don't want to be like that person because nobody liked them and they were a bad leader. Um, second of all, the, the philosophy, right? Like what what do you base your leadership around? Um, are you uh, are you like a lead first person? Are you the type of person that jumps in with your team, rolls up their sleeves, and says, "Let's do it together"? 
Um, I'm uh, I, I love a couple of books. I love the book The Go Giver is is kind of like a big philosophy of mine. It's it focuses on it's like that Zig Ziglar help okay. others be successful and you'll be successful uh, type of thing. I'm also a big Ted Lasso guy. Um, in I think Ted Lasso teaches you that it's not about winning and losing. It's about helping people become the best person they can be at any in in their career. So when I when I have people that I coach um, or that I lead in my teams, I'm not I'm not focused on the X's and O's. I mean, I want to make sure they're doing the X's and O's, but I'm focused on like what is what is in your own way? You know, like what is what what is in your personality or something in your life? What are you currently dealing with that I can help you overcome? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times it's trust. A lot of times it's like making sure like, hey, is, is this Alex guy for real? Mm -hmm. um, and you have to put in the work. But then once you've earned people's trust, that's when I think leadership really changes. Yeah, I think that's so well said. I love those references for books and authors. There's there's really great content there. And I think after the podcast, we can even include that in a link for folks mm -hmm. to view as well. So last question, if I don't have enough experience to be a top leader yet, what advice would you give me? Yeah, um, so I think I love uh, working cross-functionally uh, between teams. So in TA, uh, I think we have a unique, in talent acquisition, we have a unique position to impact so many different areas in the company because I'm, I'm talking to accounting, I'm talking to IT, I'm talking to finance, you name it, um, we are helping them with their hires. Uh, even if you're not in TA and you're listening to this podcast, what are some opportunities that you can create bridges across uh, the different business functions? You know, if you're an IT person, what can you do to help people in other departments to be successful? And that type of work really gets you recognized and really kind of puts you at the top to either be uh, in for opportunities within the company, but also make you comfortable to say, I can do this elsewhere and I can make that leap um, into a management position. That's good advice, Alex. I think that is such good advice. I think that's a unique answer too, because if people are helping cross-functionally, they can even highlight that as a candidate on their resume, share that cross-functional partnerships. Excellent. I thought that was really good advice. So you are clearly passionate about the talent acquisition industry. And I think that you've given some really good pointers, really, really good. <laughs> I wanted to transition a bit to your not-for-profit, such a cool cause. Would you mind sharing about Drink for Pink? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to actually. Any any chance you get to talk about stuff like this is uh, it's really powerful. So um Drink for Pink is a uh, local nonprofit, local to Colorado, uh, that, which is where I'm based out of, um, that focuses on uh, breast cancer research. So our our big um, sort of tenets or, or beliefs that we have is that uh, we wanted to build a nonprofit that was 100% uh, transparent. Uh, and we achieved that by uh, posting a transparency report every single year that demystifies really like what happens to, to, to your donation amount if you were to give us a dollar. Um, and I'll explain why that was uh, something that was a big item of ours when we were building Drink for Pink in 2015. Uh, the other one was 100% volunteer. So we wanted to build a nonprofit that, that didn't have staff. Mm -hmm. um, that was fully operated by volunteers. Uh, and then the other one was obviously, where do we want to make our impact? And for us, it was research uh, as opposed to awareness. 
nothing wrong with awareness. Um, it's very, very powerful to go hand in hand, but we wanted to put our efforts towards research. So Drink for Pink uh, was born out of um, a conversation that I was having with a friend of mine named Jeremy uh, about an article that we both had read about the NFL and their impact on, um, on breast cancer month because they do their breast cancer awareness month. Everybody's wearing pink gloves, right? It's just kind of adorned. But this this article was pretty scathing and, and talked about um, the lack of transparency, the lack of uh, donation amount, and the fact that you know if you were in a non-NFL market, your you buying those pink gloves didn't benefit your community. Mm. Um, so you know, on top of that, uh, Jeremy and myself had both had uh, you know friends and relatives that had passed away from cancer. And we just kind of saw an opportunity to combine this 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 women's problem. Uh, you know, one in seven women will develop breast cancer in their life, uh, so it is just rampant uh, and and very present with this uh, amazing community uh, in, of the craft beer space. Um, so microbrews, I think Colorado's top three in the country for 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 microbrews and growing or craft beer as they call it now. And if you've ever been part of a, of a local brewery or craft beer community, you notice that it's just, it's very, it's like a family. And, and we wanted to uh, sort of leverage that in the way that the NFL was leveraging their community, but we wanted to do it at a, at a much more local level. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's the pitch uh, in a nutshell. We built Drink for Pink to um, help get the number down to zero of women that are impacted by breast cancer. I love that. And I love your cause. I think it's extremely noble. And I love your passion and ability to articulate what you're doing and make it real. You've started a real not-for-profit. So how, I guess if folks listening to this, how does Drink for Pink operate? So is it a, an amount of proceeds with local breweries are donated to Drink for Pink? Is there a way for people to donate to your cause directly, not going to a brewery? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So um, we established in 2015. Um, our first thing was we wanted to do our due diligence on um, what it takes to be a 501c3, uh, which is the nonprofit tax code, mm -hmm. uh, as well as um, being able to point our uh, donation amount to the right research here in Colorado. So we met with Ann Schutz uh, at the University of Colorado, which is sort of like the where they're, they're the leading uh, local um, research, if you will, like sort of cancer research uh, for breast cancer. So we met with them. And then we also met with uh, a, a, an organization called Cancer League of Colorado, which we're still partnered with uh, because they had a 501c3 that we could utilize while we were getting our own. And we enjoyed the relationship so much that we actually kept them as our um, partner for uh, distributing the funds. So every year we put together the amounts that we raise. I think year one was four thousand um, dollars, which is great. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not here to make anyone feel bad about that. Uh, you know, this year, six years later, seven years later, we're closing in on fifty thousand raised this year, which is wild. Wow. Um, to date, we've raised over a hundred thousand dollars. So, um, you know, once you add this year's amount, it's going to be pretty, pretty intense. Um, but, uh, so we put the money together and we give it to cancer league and we earmark it for breast cancer. And they have a, a board of directors and doctors that decide which grant should receive our money. Um, I'm getting in a little bit of the weeds right now, but essentially any, 
uh, most grants are between 35, seed grants are between 35 and $50,000, which is what, where you start with an idea and you need to prove that that idea works. And if it does, that's where you open the door for million dollar grants and, and, and more. Yeah. And, and Drink for Pink was always about the sort of like the person showing up to the brewery and having a beer and that helps us raise money. So we've, we've always loved this idea of being part of a seed grant. And this is the first year that we're going to be able to fully fund our own seed grant, which is really exciting. And we, 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 we always talk to the, the, the doctors that are leading the research that get our funds to explain to our, to the people that are part of Drink for Pink, like where, what their money did. Yeah. Um, and then finally, to answer your, your question fully, uh, you know, we partner with breweries in a number of different ways. Um, we also partner with non-breweries. We partner with CrossFit gyms and because the, the, the health and fitness community is really passionate about um, exercising, being healthy, but also enjoying themselves and having a beer after a workout. So it kind of works out that way. But we've done everything from cornhole tournaments uh, to raise money. We've done marathons. We've done fashion shows, Halloween parties. You know, if if you're a if you're a brewery that wants to raise money for a nonprofit, we'll work with whatever um, works best with your community to raise money. Wow, I love it. I love your cause. I love what you're doing. I think it's such an amazing thing. I also think we need to get you out here in San Diego. I think yes. there's a market to have you here. San yeah. Diego is like my all-time favorite place. So I yes. would, uh, yeah, I mean, let's go. That that huge, um, that, that huge breweries over there, Stone. Oh, yes. Uh, I love, I love that, that, um, that beer place over there. It's just San Diego is the greatest. Oh, yeah. No, I love it. We, San Diego, I sit in San Diego. There's so many, the wineries, breweries, they, we're huge into supporting causes. In fact, mm -hmm. myself this Friday, I'm going to um, feeding homeless at a winery, a cause. So I think there's a huge market here in San Diego. So we'll make sure that San Diego listeners really hear this as well. Call Alex. And <laughs> speaking of, Alex, what do you think is the best way? Where can people find you? I mean, there's two, two reasons. You're incredible on the talent acquisition side, management level. I mean, candidates probably hunt you down. <laughs> but then also for Drink for Pink, where can people connect with you? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, uh, you know, for for work related things, Alex Mazota. Um, uh, happy to connect with people, answer any questions they have, uh, you know, coach them, point them in the right direction. Um, I've I've been looking at resumes forever, you know, so I'm, I'm always helping friends and family with with their resumes, making sure that it's saying the right things. You'd be surprised how bad people can get resumes, right? Um, the uh, for Drink for Pink, so uh, we have two websites, drinkforpink.org, uh, as well as drinkforpink.co. Um, we're working on the on the .com, but it's uh, it's a little bit trickier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's where that's where they can find us. Uh, if you're local to Colorado, uh, we post all of our events on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, our website. You can see, um, you know, where you could where we're hosting an event who's helping us raise money, for example, right now. Uh, we just had our last event of the year with the Ugly Sweater, uh, and my wife will kill me if I don't mention this, uh, but uh, we are partnered with the Colorado Mammoth, which is our local uh, professional lacrosse team wow. uh, that plays at Ball Arena. So they uh, are doing a fundraiser for Get the Cancer Out, 
um, February 3rd. Uh, you can go to our website and buy tickets uh, to the game on the 3rd, and we'll get 50% of the ticket costs um, that will go to raising money for breast cancer research. So amazing. That is, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing that for your wife. Very good. <laughs> yes. She was like, if you don't mention this, like, <laughs> yeah. And good, I almost good. missed it. I know. Good job. What is um, your name or how can people find you on Instagram or Facebook? Uh, just drink for pink on, on both. Okay. Yeah. It, it comes up. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of if you if you if you look up drink for pink, we are the top search. Um, sometimes there's some hashtags that some people created here and there, but it's us. Great. Um, you know, I was going to mention. So I was listening to your last podcast with the Southwest Airlines lady, and you talked about imposter syndrome. Oh yes, good uh, one. I yeah, it was a great podcast, and I was going to say like I I feel that massively with drink for pink because we are, we, um, I've had the honor of meeting, um, a lot of breast cancer survivors, cancer survivors. Mm -hmm. We've lost people, um, throughout this, this, um, you know, since we started drink for pink, mm -hmm. um, it is, it is gut-wrenching and, and such an awful, um, thing to listen to and hear their struggle. Um, but it, it, it's also a reminder of, of how important it is what we're doing, but it's, I do get imposter syndrome, when I'm just sitting there having a beer, having a, having a fun time, and there's people that are really struggling. So I just wanted to connect back to the last podcast because it spoke to me a lot. No, and I appreciate that. And I hope one of the nuggets that you heard was the people with imposter syndrome mostly are the people who should be in that role or mm -hmm. the successful people. So the fact that you even feel that kind of leads credibility towards you being the one to be doing what you're doing. So mm -hmm. keep going. It's an amazing cause. In fact, maybe there's a lot of other people who aren't courageous enough to do what you're doing. You know, we get too busy in our lives. We focus on career, but you have this really that you're piloting and it's growing and it's amazing to see. And I'll help you in San Diego too, to be talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think philanthropy is something that we don't think about in our thirties, forties. Um, you know, you kind of get into it in your sixties and seventies when you have the money, the time and people around you are getting, you know, they're getting older, they're suffering from different things. Um, I love to introduce people to giving back early Mm -hmm. um and doing so in a place where it doesn't break the wallet either right if it's mm -hmm. like hey show up give us you know help donate five dollars uh participate in the, we did an ugly sweater uh contest for twenty dollars mm -hmm. uh we do workouts um you know and and it is proven that that volunteering and giving back uh is um is really really good for your mental health um there's another outfit uh, that I'm a huge fan of here in Colorado called Project Helping. And I think they actually have um, a San Diego contingent, but they they just help I help you identify ways that you can volunteer more yeah. um, because it's it's super important to give back. I love that. And I think it's important for our listeners to hear that too. Mm -hmm. It's for us, you know, often people think, oh, I don't have time, but really it does. It is a mental health thing. I think mm -hmm. as humans, we're wired to help each other. And when we're not doing that, it does impact our mental health right. we need to give. So thank you. I thought that was good. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> today. You're very cool and love what you're doing. And I just think you have so much to offer this world. So I hope people really get to hear you and connect with you through this as well. 
Well, you're so kind, Laura. Thanks. Um, means a lot for you know for us to do this together and for you to be uh, asking me to be a part of it. I hope um, I hope you know it helps someone and um, you know all the success to you on this podcast. I, I hope it goes well. Thanks, Alex.